This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Uh, very good evening uh, and welcome to a uh, welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele and thanks for sharing time and space uh, with me on this glorious, glorious Tuesday. Let's get to the main menu of tonight's conversation because it's not about me, it's about you. Um, and, and, and I brought you the gentleman who is no longer a, a well, no longer, a, you know, a stranger uh, to the show. I mean, she, he blessed us on numerous occasions with his wisdom. Uh, on that dead note, let me take this opportunity to welcome Ellen Mukoki, who is the CEO um, at uh, the Sarafin Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Ellen, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance. Good evening, uh, Nimrod. Good evening to your listeners as well. Thank you very much uh, once again for agreeing to grace uh, High FM listeners, particularly beyond governance, uh, 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 you know, uh, fellows uh, around on, on, on your wisdom on the topical issues that we're going to talk tonight. But perhaps maybe just painting the scene, Ellen, because it's important that the the strategy that we the economic recovery strategy is located in a particular context. Let me just lay down the context uh, for an example. We know that before lockdown, the, we are already, the business confidence was at its lowest. It was just compounded by COVID-19. And subsequently, we, we know that the uh, business for South Africa established a, a, a quick response uh, to, to pandemic based on what has been envisaged as the decline of the uh, economic activity between 8 and 10% and with a budget deficit of about 13%. So I can go on and on and on, but the reality is that we are in a serious quagmire. Pertinent to that, they have proposed, you know, a, a, a 12 plan, plan, which, 12 point plan, which has a number of critical issues. And I know you've been party to this particular process. Firstly, uh, where are we in relation to business confidence? Before we get into some of the, um, salient points outlined in the business for South Africa blueprint. What is the level of business confidence in the country at the moment? Well, Nimrod, uh, at this point in time, as you would appreciate, uh, business confidence is pretty low, uh, purely because we've been facing some significant headwinds uh, in the area of both, for the first time now, um, the economics uh, area. Actually, three things uh, uh, conspired against us. Uh, is the economy on one side, and then um, it, it was the, the, the very big health issue uh, around COVID-19, the pandemic itself. And then we're also impacted largely by what appears to be a level of significant political uh, issues, especially within the ruling party, which quite clearly sucks. People don't know what does it mean. In other words, uh, perception of whether South Africa is a stable place and what does this actually mean for the future through in an environment where uh, there was supposed to be a new administration that came in. And then people, when they look at that, they think, wow, you know, uh, it's business as usual. Uh, it doesn't look like the leopard has been able to change its spots. So those three things are basically coalescing and creating a very significant effect when it comes to business confidence. That's, uh, but we've noted, um, Alan, that, um, well, I mean, I would imagine when, when in, in, 
there were a number of, of utterances, a number of plans that were put forward, um, which, which somehow sought to revive uh, not only business confidence, but also, uh, uh, you know, public confidence because most people are very disillusioned. Uh, but let's look at some of the, the critical areas which the blueprint, uh, uh, you know, um, articulated. For an example, issues around policy consistency. To what extent have we gravitated towards the positive side of policy uncertainty? And, and I tell you why I'm asking this question because Every time we hear policy certainty, and my view is that it's not every single economic uh, consideration or economic uh, imperative that require policy certainty. In some instances, yes, we do. In some instances, we don't. Uh, where there's been perhaps maybe a need for policy certainty, how far has the, the, the needle gravitated towards the positive? Are we making an inroad? So, I think that it's a... It's a Shall I say, perhaps maybe we are in a level of transition and maybe the, the, the discontinuity on the policy environment is caused largely by the lack of stability when it comes to policy and process. And I'm making this particular statement very much deliberately because there are several paths uh, that South Africa has had to deal with. And I would like to say that you have to deal with issues that are short term and then medium term and then obviously long-term. I don't think that there's an escape uh, at all for South Africa in dealing very decisively with the issues that effectively, by their very nature, they belong to the long-term uh, game. So the long game has got to be the thing that is much more critical. Yes, we got caught very quickly with our pants down. In fact, the whole world was caught with its own pants down, but us more um, with the COVID pandemic uh, situation that just came from nowhere and hit us very, very, very badly. I'm saying that we were caught with our pants uh, down more as South Africa precisely because we had already entered a recession. And then whilst we're in the middle of that particular pandemic, we had to face the issue of being downgraded by the ratings agencies. Now, these issues are, are very critical in respect of how then do you respond from a policy instrument point of view around what are you actually going to do? Yes, for the COVID-19 pandemic, you are going to do a couple of the things that we've seen being done within the constraints of what fiscally is actually possible. Because there are two things you can do. You can either say to the monetary authorities, do something about the interest rates, because we see the play is what it is today, so that you can create a level of relief uh, to many people, because the bonds, the credit cards, the car finance, uh, the loans uh, to businesses, the interest rates still need to be paid. So you saw a bit of a movement in that particular uh, regard. Then you had to come to the fiscal policy, quick measures that were necessarily were necessary to deal with the effects of this. But we are very constrained even in that particular environment because already the GDP, um, the debt to GDP was particularly high. We were struggling in the balance of payments area. And so the government had to do what the government had to do. So when we started to talk about, or the government started to talk about $500 billion, people actually misunderstood the 500 billion to have been cash that someone went to get somewhere to actually throw into the system. There was no 500 billion cash. Let's step there, right? So I, I, I grew up in banking and finance is my specialty. And in finance, we always say that cash is a fact and income is an opinion. So what the government then did, they issued a guarantee, a paper 
money, so to speak, not real cash, to the banks, 200 billion or that 500 billion to say to the banks, please assist businesses that are struggling through this particular area with loans. Remember, those businesses still have to pay back those loans, yet they have actually lost the revenue. So, in other words, you've lost the revenue, you are supposed to pay back your loans from revenues that you generate, minus your costs, from any profit that you make, you can then pay people. So many people, as you would have seen or have had with the 200 billion, is that it has not been used 100% for the very mere reason that there are not too many business people who want to fund because there are two types of costs in any business, basically maybe three. Capital expenditure costs and then general selling and admin costs and maybe financing costs where you need to be repaying some loan to someone else. But in the final analysis, if you've got the three lines of cost and you are facing a situation with your business during the lockdown, the pandemic, you are not necessarily going to go borrow money to finance your general selling and admin costs if you believe in your good conscience that you can actually take out those costs. And that's why you saw a lot of businesses was if you look at the GSA line or the general cost line, you'll find that for many, many businesses, almost 60% of your gross profit actually will go uh, by way of salaries that need to be paid to people. So businesses then started to figure a way of whether we retrench, we put people on temporary layoff. That, so that's the default setting for many business people is that I'm not going to go and borrow money to finance expenses, that expenses that are not being incurred to generate any productive cycle where I can actually generate uh, money. So yes, you have the 200 billion, but it's by way of, as I said, it's a, it's a relief measure. It's not a cash injection. And then you then had quite a number of things that SARS was doing around giving people a, a, a holiday on when you can actually pay. But remember, again, those things were not written off. In other words, that's not the, the tax authorities did not say, I'm giving you a write off. We did not reduce the rate of tax uh, to businesses to say you are paying 29% or 28%. You are now going to pay 22% for the period of the pandemic. We simply said, listen, wait, you don't have to pay us now. We can wait a little bit for you to come back later. Now, I'm giving you this long answer to try and explain the idea that the short-term game had to do with the pandemic. We still needed to deal where you hear the story about policy uncertainty or the diffusion of policy in the area of the long game. That is the aspect that South Africa has not yet dealt with in a way that is decisive. Yes, we're doing something to do with energy, but those things, when you look at them in terms of what the Department of, of, of Energy is doing, they appear more as a band-aid, uh, what can we do immediately right now to stop the bleeding at ESCOM because we've got a problem and we're trying to solve the problem of load shedding so that businesses can continue. So we're not here to the space where we need to sit down and say, here is a plan. We have the National Development Plan. We have the, the, the United Nations Sustainable Development uh, uh, Goals. We then have all these other templates, including the World Economic Forum uh, Global Competitiveness Index Report. And then we've got the issues that the, the ratings agencies, in terms of the, the, the sovereign ratings model, they are always talking about policies as they relate to the creation of an enabling environment. And in that particular box, you've got issues such as institutions. Because Nimrod, the key question for South African policymakers and, 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 and South African commentators that they need to be conscious of is that when we say policy certainty, we need to be very specific in what area and why. So if you then say the ratings agencies are going to measure me on that area, then you need to have a policy that you formulated to deal precisely 
with the downgrading that you are getting or the lower rating that you are getting in that area. So when I say, for instance, an enabling environment, there's an area there that the ratings agencies look at, and one of them is the institutions. <clears throat> These are the institutions that South Africa have, and you have many of those under Chapter 9 of the Constitution of the Republic, the, the Public Protector's Office, the Judiciary, the South African Reserve Bank, all these are protected in terms of their own independence, including the national, uh, 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 the, the national prosecuting authority, by the way, as well as things like, you know, the, 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 the regulators that have to do with the ICT sector. So I'm saying that if you then have an issue that you know you're dealing with because you're being downgraded on it, then under enabling environment, you need to now be able to say, here are the policies that I've now put forward to deal decisively with the issue of institutions. Yes, South Africa has done particularly well when it comes to enabling a, a very clear legislative environment around those institutions. But the way practically we've actually behaved as South Africa, the issues surrounding the public protector, for instance, a lot of the issues surrounding the NPA and the, 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 the narrative of the hollowing out of institutions of the state creates that particular problem. So now we must say, these are the things that we're actually going to do, and we're going to do these things differently in that particular regard. Infrastructure is one of the pieces around the enabling environment, and yes, there's a lot of noise, and, and the government is beginning to do something. They've appointed a very highly skilled, highly talented man in that area. Yes. Yeah. Maybe just holding a, a, a thought there, uh, because you, you've mentioned a number of critical points, which I want to reflect on immediately after we have uh, paid our bills. And I believe, Tabo, uh, we need to take an ad. Once you've taken an ad, we'll revert back to um, a conversation with uh, Mr. Ellen McCorkey, because he made a number of significant, uh, significant points. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. Uh, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Um, tonight I'm joined online by the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki, Mr. Ellen Mkoki, uh, who has been a regular you know, feature to the show. He's really taking us through some of the turnaround strategy um, um, that has been put forward by Business for South Africa and giving us really interesting pointers around uh, what has been the progress uh, in, in so far as the the 200 billion rands that 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 has been used by the state to try and leverage uh, in the economy back on its feet? And I really like the point that he mentioned about us having to focus on what what are the short term gains, which are obviously around COVID 19, but uh, we also need to uh, uh, project our, our thoughts and minds. On the long term, by using a number of, uh, you know, uh, 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 templates, he made mention of the World, uh, World Economic Forum template, the rating agencies template, as well as NDP. And these are obviously useful uh, templates that we can obviously use as a reference point. Uh, this conversation was taking context um, or taking place in the context of issues around policy certainty. And, and I think what I really like about his explanation before we went to the break is the fact that we need to be very clear. When you're talking about policy certainty, we need to be very clear as to which aspect of policy has not been clear and to what extent in this particular policy hemorrhaging investor confidence because we, we, we obviously have to move away from this blanket approach, uh, almost like policy being used as a booby uh, boogeyman, something just to scare everybody else. And, and you need to be more specific. And I think the role of media, uh, is to educate 
uh, everyone out there, they said, when you talk about policy certainty, which ones are we talking about? And the extent to which there's been progress or lack of, or lack of, uh, from government side. On that note, uh, Ellen, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, man. Um, before we went to the break, you wanted to give us a bit of a, a, an input, particularly around infrastructure investment as one of the key drivers of more of a long-term investment as a way of turning the economy around. How are we doing on that line item? Well, I think that that's the point I was trying to make in that uh, we then need to understand things that we, we understand why we need it. Because the only people who are going to come to us and say there is lack of policy certainty would be those ratings on whom we rely so much to fund many social and, uh, and, and fixed uh, investment, domestic investment programs that we as South Africans are talking about. Because we've got to go back. Let's go back to when you do something. I say that to many uh, people that I address. I say that to the people at Saki. Every time we start a meeting and they always think that this guy is always asking us a very simple question. The, the most important question, when everything is going to get done, when we meet, when we're going to put together anything, whether it's a project, whether it's a meeting, is a very simple question. What are we actually trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Where are we headed? Why are we meeting? What exactly is the end game out of this? So when we talk about all these policies to begin with, we have to have the end game in front of us here, where we say the end game is X. Now, when you know the end game, you can then put together a very clear plan that says, well, if I want to achieve this end game, I'm going to achieve it in 20 years or in 30 years, let me then put together a series of measures, let me then put together a series of objectives, and let me answer the question how I'm going to resource those things from a, a people, from a machines, from a systems, from a technology, from money, uh, and all these things. How are you actually going to pull this entire thing together? So this policy uncertainty has a lot to do with uh, using a big term, with the big lacuna, you know, the gap. There's a huge gap between the theory of what South Africa would always say we're actually trying to do X and the practice. In other words, the real plan that is on the table that is actually going to enable you to reach that particular destination or that particular end game. So I was mentioning the issue of infrastructure because infrastructure is one of the key areas on which ratings agencies measure a country in terms of its investment potential, okay? Because it's one of the areas that the category that is called enabling environment. Enabling environment includes institutions that I just spoke about, and I'm saying that if South Africa then goes together, very nice framing of constitution under institutions that were actually going to hold independent, but we then go out and we position those institutions incorrectly, or we staff them incorrectly, and then we hollow out the institutions that we said from the very word go, they were actually independent. And I'm sure you saw the fight that ensued just this week between the DA and the Minister for Telecoms, where the DA is accusing the Minister of violating parliamentary procedures around the appointment of the people who are actually supposed to sit at ICASA. These are exactly the kinds of things that cause that level of dissonance and sap out confidence and lead to a downgrade. Because on one hand, you cannot say, I want an independent institution, and I will be measured on the basis of the fact that the intent that I have on the Chapter 9 of the Constitution 
is that I will have an independent institution. But in practice, you go and behave in a way that suggests that you yourself do not respect the independence of that institution that you've actually guaranteed in the Constitution of the Republic. Now, we've seen that at the NPA previously. We've seen that at the SABC. We've seen these kinds of things in many environments. So I'm saying when you now talk policy certainty, you cannot just promise in theory that which you are not actually practicing and actioning and making sure that where there are gaps, you close those gaps, and making sure that where there are violations of those particular things, action is actually being taken. So I'm um, part of the issue that we're able to be very careful when we say policy setting that we follow action that which we've actually promised in word. And you then have things like ICT adoption, we're very far, five, six, seven years now, We've been talking about the migration of the spectrum away from the public protest so that we can open up the environment for ICT. And in the whole country, it will reduce the cost of doing business. We will wire the entire place with fiber. But why is that particular decision taking such a long time? So when you move from policy, you need to be able to say, I'm moving from concept to transactional term at rapid speed, because I understand very clearly that this disconnect around adoption is actually with this particular problem. So that's why we need to be specific. Macroeconomic stability is one of them, and we're doing reasonably well. I think that our national treasury is generally better rated than many of the government departments in terms of how it's managing that, even though it's under a lot of pressure, given the fact that there is no money. So those are some of the things that I was mentioning as being critical in terms of fixing the long game. And you must also recall that one of the other issues that are very critical when we're being rated talking policy in the long game, are the structural features of the South African environment. They include, they include governance quality. Governance quality is a very important uh, parameter that ratings agencies are actually going to look at. They include things like political stability and capacity. You see now where we are. Watch then the noise that is in the political environment in South Africa today with the ruling party seemingly uh, uh, at a huge dissonance, the divisions, the factions, a lot of the things that are happening around COVID, the promises not being fulfilled, we'll deal with crime, we won't deal with crime, we'll deal with the corruption, but we go ahead ourselves and reappoint the very same people that are being accused uh, of crime. Because if you are going to be the ruling party, you go to your own conference, you pass a resolution. The very resolution that the president was quoting in his letter to the members of his organization that where someone has been accused, accused, uh, or even facing prosecutorial action on uh, on issues of corruption, that person should actually step down. And if they don't voluntarily step down, then they will be suspended. What is the ruling party doing? The <laughs> they actually uh, take I'm, 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 I'm glad you've raised, you raised that point, um, Ellen. Um, maybe just make a quick reflection before I get into that point. Uh, the issue of ICT spectrum, which ordinarily we have had this conversation numerous with numerous uh, captains of interest such as yourself, that this is one area that is potentially uh, uh, quite lucrative insofar as as you know giving the the GDP a bit of impetus. I mean, there's people could you know players can come in here and and really inject a quite substantial capital. You are closer to these kinds of processes. Um, what seems to be the arbitrage around ICT spectrum? We, you know, there are a lot of issues that people are putting forward, but we also 
uh, why the area needs to be contestable. The government... Your line is suffocating a little bit there, um, Ellen. Well, I've got a full uh, signal here, so I don't know what the problem might be. Uh, can you hear me now? Numero? Much better, much better, yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that uh, we, cannot, we cannot tell ourselves because uh, in the final analysis, none of these things uh, ought to take, in my view. There is no reason whatsoever that the issue of the spectrum cannot be resolved in a maximum period of six months. We've been dealing with this issue from when I think Minister Kwele was still at telecoms. And, and people are going to court and, 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 and people are going to issue an auction. We don't actually understand. But that is the policy uncertainty that then gets to be created. All right. And then it starts to raise suspicions. And then you see a lot of narratives and noise about maybe there's corruption. Maybe not the right people are approaching. Maybe this. So we need to get a government that says we're very serious minded. We're going to be very transparent. We're going to act in a way that is making sense and consistent and very fast. So we don't know the reasons. All we know is that there seems to be we're displaying a very significant level of incompetence in an area where we ought not to be doing that because it's such a critical area as an enabler for economic development and driving this particular economy going forward. Thanks, Alan. But your last point, last point, I think is also quite poignant when you're saying uh, we're displaying a, a, a level of incompetence. Uh, but what is the, the, the solution around um, incompetence or lack of capacity uh, at the state level? Because we understand that the state does not have that that does not have sufficient capacity or requisite skills sets uh, that enable the state to drive the kind of program we want to see. But we, we can sit here and, 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 and blame all the time, but what would be the immediate solution, uh, particularly from the private sector, around the, the capacity of the state? Because it, 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 it's given. We all know that. It's, a, it's an open secret that the state does not have requisite skills uh, uh, and expertise to drive some of these wonderful, uh, you know, programs. But the qu- what the qu- is the solution? The, there's no solution when it comes to issues of leadership. Uh, you have to take the decision. You can't do leadership if you don't deal with the issue of culture and the values. It's very simple. We need to be able to say what are the values that underpin the state as a capable state? What are these things that we think should resemble a state that needs to be capable. We are not the first people to do this. We can go to Singapore. We can go to all the people that we would like to be like, especially we as Saki, we continuously talk about there are less than eight countries, uh, basically, in the last 200 years that have moved from developing to developed economies who happen to be non-Western. And amongst those is Japan, you know, South Korea, Taiwan, uh, uh, the old Hong Kong and places like that. And we know what it is that they did. They made sure that when it comes to culture or the type of person that must work in the public service, that meritocracy will not actually be sacrificed. So that's the step change that you need. You need to be able to take a policy decision that says cater deployment where the cater does not exhibit the cap- capability and the competence of being able to run from a, a question of ability attitude, 
experience, the skills, the education, qualifications, and performance track record, we have to have the template because there's no way to escape that. And it's not just in the in physical environment, it's in the private sector, it's in any other organization. You know, soccer throwers are the best when it comes to that, right? The team is not performing, get rid of the coach because the coach must go and put together the right players and actually make them play. You are never going to be able to build a team either in the public sector or in the private sector when you do not have a very clear template of the type of people that you want to hire. And of course, that's where we start. We've got to start there and not uh, avoid dealing with the difficult, tough issues because without fixing the issue around people, skills, culture, and the values, we're never actually going to the state has a problem and the problem is not, not because the state pay people money. The money is not happening, we're not hiring the right people. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more, Alan, because there's sufficient data or evidence to point that to to point to that direction. If you have just joined us, uh, I'm joined online by the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki, Mr. Alan Koki, uh, who is really giving us food for thought in terms of what are the success conditions that needs to underpin the economic strategy that has been laid down. And I just want to echo the sentiments of the 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 CEO of. Um, the black, uh, the black Business Council, who once said to me, um, if South Africa was contesting in a space of, you know, document development or strategy development, would be winning medals all the time. Um, and 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 your point, Ellen, around the need to address the values, uh, skill, um, the values and competencies, and focusing on meritocracy, i.e., let the you know give the job to the best person, irrespective of his race or color, because we we tend to be preoccupied with race and class and and other variables which don't really take us in, any any far. But what would it take to to move to that level? I mean, you you pointed out that it's about leadership. Leadership is it's all about it's about it's all about taking decisive action. It's all about uh, not being popular. Uh, you, you can't consult uh, because we being crippled in this country by by consultation paralysis. I mean, most people are beginning to suggest that the president is caught up in that kind of a framework where he consults and makes beautiful utterances, but implementation suffers because the the, the, the culture of decisive leadership. Um, um, it's lacking. But perhaps maybe as we are rounding up, we've got 12 more minutes to, to, to get to at least the, what I would call, uh, uh, laguna of, um, you know, of, of, of change, particularly around SOEs, because this is one factor or this is one theme on the strategy of which, if we could get it correct, we'll turn around the 5% would turn around the economy to a point where the 5% GDP growth that we are all been yelling for, ANNP, can actually be, ha- be happening. But if this is a desirable state, firstly, how far are we in your assessment as Saki? And secondly, the extent to which all the social partners are cognizant of the values that could be driven from the, the, the reconfiguration or realignment of the state on entities. Your views? You know, our view has always been very consistent when it comes to uh, the SOEs. The SOEs, um, they ought to be staffed and uh, supervised. 
by people who have been appointed independently. We, we can't skip the issue. I think that for a very long time, it's been very easy for the one administration to blame the previous administration or for the one minister who is looking after those SOEs to blame the predecessors and to blame everybody else. Uh, it's quite clear that the root cause has got to be the, the politicization, the politicization of the appointment of the non-executive boards, the politicization of the appointment of the executives, and the politicization of the the work that must be done, and as in particular as it relates to the issuing of tenders, because quite a number of these places, they are very, very uh, huge uh, contributors to the economy in terms of the, the procurement, in terms of the, the suppliers that they can have. So because we know that this has been uh, an evil uh, 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 that is attracting uh, the wrong behavior, we've all made, we've long made this recommendation that we need to create a South Africa, we need to create an independent structure that is not dissimilar to the Judicial Services Commission that will then look at the appointment of the boards of directors of the SOEs. It starts there, because if you are not going to be able to do that level of change, you are going to end up in this particular space of political control and contestation and everybody But, but what has been, but on the, on the very same point, Ellen, what has been the reception from government? Because you are making a, it's a no-brainer. I mean, uh, anybody can see uh, trees from the forest at that, at that point. What has been the reception of, of government on that very point? Well, I mean, we have to continue to make the point. I don't think that the government has necessarily responded negatively or positively. They just did not respond. Uh, because quite clearly it's one of those big areas that makes people to 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 think differently uh, and and to see that the cheese is being moved uh, very decisively because most people don't necessarily want to be seen to be losing control uh, of things. But it's a, it's a solution for South Africa, not necessarily for the ruling political party or political party because at a certain level we all need to agree and accept that the problems that affect and afflict uh, South Africa as a republic they all belong to us. And, and, and for, for a very, very long time, I think that too many people decided to be commentators on the sidelines and they didn't necessarily get involved with wanting to be part of the solution and wanting to contribute to creating the necessary environment for that change. So you are not likely, uh, in a way, de- depending on the type of context and environment that persists at a particular point in time, to find people agreeing that power ought to be taken away from them. But we have to consistently make this point that if you want to run those things very well, you need to be able to do this work. You need to be able to make sure that you've got a type of structure that's independent. We're able to do it with the JSC. We're able to do it with the SAPC, even though we struggle with the implementation. But at least it will begin to create the necessary culture in an environment where those boards that are independent, they don't necessarily belong to a minister. They're able to come in and appoint a CEO, and let's do that particular process in a way that is transparent, right? Let's have the public hearings. Let's make sure that the people who are going to go there to become the board member or the CEO have been vetted very publicly and very clearly, and they are actually the best that can do that. China does that. South Korea does that. Taiwan does, does that. Hong Kong has done that for years where the contestation for uh, uh, careers in the pu- private and, 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 and public sector in a place like Hong Kong is a mute point. People actually want to 
rush to go and work for the public service because they can see that they can build a career there. If you, if you do that, then you've resolved permanently the issue of governance. And then you can then begin to move forward in a way that is very, very quick. But it's very important that people need to be able to appreciate this point because it's a very fundamental point where the president is, 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 is almost struggling to find his own balance around, as you said earlier, on making the right noises around uh, organizational renewal and change, but finding that the ecosystem, because every time when you try to drive qualitative significant change in large organizations, the ecosystem of those organizations tends out to come out to attack. Okay, and you, and that's why people would, in leadership, will always advise when you try to drive that level of qualitative and extensive change in large, big organizations like that. It's always best that you drive the change on the margins of the organization and not inside those organizations. And what I mean by that margin, I was having this conversation with the president of Saki just the other day, is that even if you look at the ruling party, you'll find that they still have less than 1 million uh, members, yet more than 10 million people voted for the ruling party in the last general election. It is the problem lies then with those people who are inactive because they are not available. So you need to be able to rely on the power of that ballot as a president who wants to drive change if you are struggling with the one million. Because the good news, of course, in this particular example is that the, the, the membership is still less than 10% of the actual base. So you need to derive your power from the base, not to derive your power from the internal complicated and complex dynamic of a political organization that is actually struggling with change. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you very much for the insight. Uh, if you've just joined us, um, we are pretty much uh, on the last leg of our conversation with the uh, honorable, uh, uh, honorable <laughs> Ellen McCorkey. <laughs> Ellen Thanks McCorkey. for the honorable. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the CEO of the South African uh, Chamber of Commerce and Industry, really giving us uh, his wisdom around what are the pertinent uh, and practical approaches to, you know, activate uh, what we have as the strategic turnaround, which has been put forward amongst others by the Business for South Africa. The last point that I want you to reflect on, Ellen, um, it is the issue around, um, you know, economic transformation and BEE. From, uh, uh, you know, what, what has been the progress, as you've seen, because this matter has been on the, you know, pipeline for some time, and, and it has gone through different phases. Um, in your final assessment, have we made sufficient traction for I strongly believe that, we, you know, BE is not just a policy imperative, but it's fundamental about business imperatives. Um, and, and, and we seem to struggle to, to, to elevate the, 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 you know, the business uh, imperative sign of this particular legislation. Well, yes, I think that, you know, there's the, as, as we say, there are always two parts to any economic equation. You know, on top, you've got the area that is called invest savings, where whether it's wealth companies, whether it's savings deposits, salaries, and people, they go into a pool, and that pool could be the banks, that pool could be the post office, that pool could be uh, asset management companies, insurance uh, companies, that kind of people. And then in the middle, between savings and investments, you've got the intermediaries, and these are the banks, and these are the people who are the regulators, legislatures, who then have to take decisions as to how the deployment of the savings is going to go into the economy under the area of investment. It's not a particularly democratic process if you appreciate uh, the psychology of economics. And why am I saying this? Is that when we deal with the issue of transformation, the first uh, problem statement is that we as business ourselves are actually very much complicit 
in not exercising leadership correctly in understanding what the big gains uh, and benefits of transformation really, really are. Let me give an example, and I make this example from time to time. I need my friend Sim Chabalala's band there to be 10, 20 times, and that can only happen in South Africa if we drive transformation where the majority of these black people will have got credit cards have got income, number one, rising incomes in their pockets. The women have got rising incomes in their pockets so that they can have credit cards, they can have car finance, they can have home loans. This is the only way that this bank can actually be a very big African bank, right? Yet, as business ourselves, we seem to be always hesitating and we want to treat the issue of transformation as some kind of grudge buy. You know, you know they say people don't wash a rented car. You know, it belongs to heads or AVs or budgets. We're going to wash it, you know, unless it's really, really necessary because the seats are very... So we as business ourselves need to stop from a leadership point of view treating transformation as a, as a, as a grudge buy. As a matter of fact, we are measured, even by the ratings agencies, by the way, on the progress that we're making on this issue. And oftentimes when we talk about the sovereign uh, uh, credit ratings for South Africa as business, we're, we're being very disingenuous because we don't actually mention the fact that, by the way, we're actually downgraded on the issue of the fact that we're not driving the issue of transformation. We don't have the right size of the market. We are actually creating issues of political instability, social injustice, and all those things. So we need to have a new relationship uh, as capital with the issue of transformation because we need to drive South Africa so that it's a very... And we're never, we're never going to get South Africa to become in a developed economy, by the way, unless we drive the issue of transformation because these things are twins. They are actually very much... Uh, related. However, from a government point of view, the government is the biggest uh, driver of the economy, is the biggest buyer, is the biggest buyer of goods and services, okay? There is capital that is sitting with black people, because transformation is an issue of what the board and management want to do. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut you there. We literally have 30 seconds to wrap up our conversation. Um, It has been absolutely beautiful uh, to hear you uh, articulating so strong much. views, which I believe the listener has really had a food for thought uh, uh, in terms of your your advice. I mean, it's not just a an armchair, you know, advice. I mean, it comes from practical experience because you sit uh, with 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 colleagues and you sit with different structures. So we welcome your thoughts, welcome your views. For it can only build us um, as 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 a community. And once again, thank you very much for. Gracing uh, Beyond Governance show with your presence tonight. Thank you so much, Nimrod, and uh, good evening to your listeners as well. Thank you very much. There we have it. That was the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki in short, Mr. Alan Mokoki, uh, giving us uh, his view around the, 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 the extent to which the transformation of the economy uh, has gone.